You're listening to the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. I'm Franco Terrazano holding the fort down here in Ottawa for the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Miss Chris Sims out there in Alberta. Let's get right into it because we got a lot of cover today and the cost of living is top of mind for us all. You have the uh, leader of the official opposition, Mr. Pierre Polyev. He's calling on the government to stop its carbon tax hikes. Uh, they brought forward a motion to end the carbon tax hikes. Unfortunately, the government voted that down. You know, lots of hot air all the time here in Ottawa, especially right now. But Chris, why don't you break down for our listeners just what's going on? Yeah, like you said, there's a lot of hot air, a lot of rhetoric, um, but there's real people and real money behind this. So when the leader of the opposition stands up and says, hey, you know, folks can't afford Jack right now. Uh, You guys need to do something about it. This is what he's getting at. So we're going to go through the numbers for you just on the first carbon tax. So the federal carbon tax here in Canada applies to things like gasoline, diesel, propane, natural gas, and furnace oil. Okay. So roughly speaking, every time you get in your car and drive somewhere, or every time you heat your home, more or less, you're paying the carbon tax. Right now, it's $50 per ton federally. It's going to go up $15 per ton, and eventually it's going to hit $170 per ton in the year 2030. Now, I can just see eyes glazing over everywhere because what the heck does any of that mean? So in normal people talk, the carbon tax right now costs you 11 cents per liter of gasoline and 13 cents per liter of diesel. Now, what does that mean to the pump? Okay, well, if you drive, say, a Dodge Grand Caravan, it's like one of the most popular minivans on planet Earth, it costs you more than eight bucks extra just to fill up your minivan just in that one carbon tax. If you're filling up a pickup truck, even a light duty pickup truck, that's running you like $13 extra per fill up just in the carbon tax. Now, if you've got both those vehicles in your family, that's more than 20 bucks every Mm -hmm. week right? So that's serious money. Like I can get a roast chicken and two jugs of milk for the amount that the carbon tax costs. (laughs) Um, Now keep in mind, even if like, say you're a magical person and you don't drive a minivan or a pickup truck, well, you're still getting nailed with the carbon tax because if our listeners and viewers like stop what they're doing and look around them, like right now, pretty much everything around them has been brought to them on a truck. And everything they eat has been brought to the grocery store locally by a truck. And of course, trucks, those big rig ones, they use diesel and they have carbon taxes. So that is typically why people refer to the carbon tax as the tax on everything. And so if you were to fill up two of those cylinders on a big rig truck, that costs 120 bucks extra just in the carbon tax every time they do that. So that increases the cost. And this is actually something um, that a lot of folks haven't pointed out before, but it's true. Trains. We still get a lot of stuff uh, hauled across Canada um, using trains, locomotive power. And most trains use diesel. Guess what? They get the carbon tax too. And I sat down and did the math the other night, and it costs around $2,400 in the carbon tax every time you fill up one of those locomotives. So it all adds up. And you know what, ladies and gentlemen, don't worry, we're not paying Chris overtime to sit there at nine o'clock at night calculating how much the carbon tax is going to cost a locomotive. No, that's something that Miss Sims likes to do for fun. Like doing it. 
Now, Chris, you, you mentioned that the carbon tax is the uh, the tax on everything. You know, it's starting to get a little chilly outside. It's it's pumpkin spice latte season. It's sweater weather. And you know what also comes with this, ty- this time of year? Uh, it comes time to heat our homes, right? Natural gas. Uh, so why don't you break down how the carbon tax are only eats away at our wallets when we go to the pumps, but also costs us more to actually heat our homes during these fall and winter months. Yeah, and this is why I think people really need to realize um, that they're getting, it's like death by a thousand cuts, right? Or yeah. one of our supporters once wrote to, wrote to us this week, and they said, it's as if I'm in a little rubber boat, and every single tax hike and tax bite is like a pinprick in that rubber boat, and eventually I'm going to sink. And so this is where we really need to get it through to people, especially politicians who make up these dumb laws, um, that these taxes layered on top of each other really hurt people. So they're going to nail you when you drive around. They're going to nail you when you buy groceries or anything you need to. And they're nailing you for heating your home. So right now it costs 9.8 cents per cubic meter of natural gas. That's what the current carbon tax rate is. It's also 7.7 cents per liter of propane. And lots of folks actually still use propane. Quite Mm. often they'll be in an inaccessible area, maybe it's rural, something like that, it's an older home, whatnot. They still get those big tanks filled. Uh, So that adds up. And there's still folks who are on furnace oil. Uh, Back home in the Maritimes, they'll call it heating oil. That's 15.9 cents per liter. So again, the carbon tax hits uh, natural gas, propane, and furnace oil. So for example, Okay, uh, let's give a real person example. A family uh, sent us their bill from February of last year. It was for propane to heat their home. They bought a thousand liters of propane. That cost them $77 just in the carbon tax. Okay, another example for you. Uh, A household in Saskatoon, they sent us their natural gas bill. I took a look at it myself. And it was just for heating for one winter month. I think it was for the month of February in Saskatoon. They use just over a thousand square or thousand cubic meters of natural gas. That was in just under a month. The carbon tax alone on that bill, Franco, was $105. And it's just for that month. You got to figure if that's cutting into like your grocery budget or another budget, like that's really starting to hurt. And actually it was a family I was surprised to see was they were in Ottawa and they Hmm. were still using furnace oil. Uh, I think they were an elderly couple. And they have to order uh, fill-ups for their furnace oil. I think they have a small tank. They have to order it every two weeks in the dead of winter. And they got just over 220 liters delivered to them one time, and they sent me the bill. It cost them 35 bucks in the carbon tax just for that one two-week delivery. And I sat there and I did the math. If they, let's just say you're just calculating from December to March... Okay, I'm not even counting like the colder times right now. Just December to March, that's costing them more than 280 bucks just to heat their home, just in the carbon tax. That's not even touching the cost of their fuel, delivery, whatnot. So this is, it's a big bite. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Now, I want to transition back to something we talked about off the top, because we saw the conservatives, uh, we saw Mr. Polyev call on the government to stop its carbon tax hikes. We've really seen the opposition increase the pressure uh, to stop these tax hikes. And I think that's because our supporters have really been piling it on all politicians to stop these tax hikes. So kudos to our supporters. Let's keep on them. Uh, But Chris, we heard 
the opposition say stop the tax hikes. But you know what? I heard the liberal ministers, liberal members of parliament in the House of Commons on social media and in the media say, well, hold on a second. You're not talking about the rebates like they're claiming that after the rebates, some you know, families are going to be better off. But Chris, I want you to tell us what's the real math behind the carbon tax and rebate schemes. Yeah, for sure. Um, I was really looking forward to that time because every time, you know, if you're a political nerd, um, anytime there's a new leader that's in the house, you want to see them go head to head. You want to see what they're going to bring to the arena. Right. And so I was actually watching that QP and yeah, you're right. The opposition were like talking about taxes yeah. and affordability and all this stuff. And <laughs> the, the government standed up, stood up and they said, oh, they're going to get back more than they pay in. And I actually yelled at the TV. I haven't done that in a while. <laughs> and I yelled at the TV. That is not true. Your own numbers show it's not true. So what we mean by that is, okay, number one, anybody with any common sense listening right now understands that it's basically impossible through the laws of physics and math to give the government money and to have them <laughs> magically create more money to give back to you. So that's just not happening. Um, but the actual math was done by the parliamentary budget officer. And lo and behold, you're not getting more back than you pay in. Surprise. The reports, right? <laughs> the report's right there. The, the data is right there. You can take a look on our website at taxpayer.com. We have a link directly to their report and we do our own analysis too. Um, and to give you an idea, um, the, the PBO did a deep dive on this. They just didn't skim what's happening at the pumps and then kind of do the calculation. No, no. They did the pumps, they did home heating, and they did other elements in the economy, which is what we were just talking about. The layering on effect of trucking, train, all that stuff. And turns out, yeah, people are still out at the end of the year. And to give you an example, Alberta, <laughs> here in Alberta, they're getting kicked in the teeth the hardest. Um, actually, a family is about $670 mm -hmm. poorer after paying the carbon tax and after the rebates every year. So this whole idea that you get more than you pay in is just fundamentally untrue. That is mathematically untrue. The parliamentary budget office, which is a nonpartisan arm's length office that does this sort of calculation has proven that is not true. So they should really stop saying that in the house of commons. And two, I can, I can hear my listeners from BC right now yelling. BC is a special case. One, They've got two carbon taxes. They went out on their own back in 2008 and they started the carbon tax scheme here in North America. They now have two carbon taxes. They pay through the nose and their rebate scheme is even worse because the moment a two person working family in British Columbia earns just over $59,000 a year, they get zero, zero back in rebates in British Columbia. So like the average median income in British Columbia for a working family is like $84,000. So average people are not getting jack back in British Columbia when it comes to rebates. So I think we really need to put this thing to bed, put a stake through its heart. The rebate thing just is not working for people. Okay, let's uh, let's do a little bit of rapid fire-ish and let's okay. stay on BC because it's like the birthplace of Canada's bad carbon tax idea. Um, first, you know, BC has had the highest carbon tax in Canada for quite some time. What's going on there with emissions? Uh, emissions just keep on going up. If you take a look at the data uh, previous to when everybody was locked in their homes, uh, it had gone up in five of the past seven years. It hmm. had gone up just over 10% over the previous three. 
So if you can take it, this is the government's own data, okay? <laughs> their own data that they bury deep on their website through this massive Excel sheet. You can take a look at the, the emissions data yourself. It just keeps on going up on a constant trajectory, even though they have the highest carbon taxes in North America and have done so since the year 2008. So long story short, emissions in BC keep on going up, even though they have the highest carbon taxes. Why is that? Well, I think the simple answer is that people need to eat, they need to heat, and they need to move around. So the demand on that energy is inelastic, to borrow one of your economist terms. Yeah, I thought you'd like that. So, <laughs> so that is why it just keeps on going up. Um, and two, um, you're right, they do have two carbon taxes. And unfortunately, it's eventually going to be inflicted on the rest of us across Canada. So can you break down what the second carbon tax is and, and how much it costs? Yeah, um, it's going to be a doozy. Uh, in British Columbia right now, because it's an average, okay, it changes. I think it's every two weeks that the average changes because they have to go on this international market and bid on all of this stuff. It varies between 16, 17, sometimes up to 18 cents. So for argument's sake, on the conservative side, let's just say it's 16 cents a liter on average for gasoline. It's more for diesel. I think right now it's 18 cents per liter for diesel. And what it is, is it's a, a fuel standard. It's a government fuel standard where the government of British Columbia has said, okay, Scouts Honor, we're now in the carbon market. Okay, we are in the international carbon market. This is the way of the future people. And we're going to basically make producers of oil and gas have lower carbon content in their product and if they don't somehow technically magically not be able to get it done they're then charged for it okay and of course what do they do with that charge <laughs> it comes right out of your wallet it's yeah. always passed down to the consumer so this is currently on gasoline and diesel it adds around 16 or 17 cents to the price a liter uh at the pump right now knock wood it is not on home heating so let's hope it stays that way but unfortunately, the bad news is that the Trudeau government federally took a look at BC, one of the most unaffordable places on earth. And they're like, hey, let's do what they're doing, yeah. guys. Hold my beer. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, seems like a smart idea. So unfortunately, they're going to be hitting us federally with a second carbon tax next year. Yeah. So that second carbon tax is supposed to take effect come next July, July, 2023. And, you know, don't take our word for it. Look at the government's own analysis. It lays it very bare who exactly is going to feel the most pain from the Trudeau government's second carbon tax, uh, low and middle income households. You have single mothers, people who are already living on energy poverty. And of course, our seniors who are living on fixed income are really going to feel the most pain from the second carbon tax. And there are no rebates coming with the Trudeau government's second carbon tax. So, ladies and gentlemen, we have to keep up the fight. We already see uh, more pressure from some members of parliament trying to hold the government accountable over its what feels like ever increasing taxes. Uh, but we need to keep on the pressure. So whenever you get uh, your home heating bill, your utility bill, whenever you go to the gas pumps and you get the bill coming from how much you put into your car, we'll send those bills to your members of parliament. Give them a phone call and tell them enough is enough. Cut taxes now. Franco, you're in Ottawa, and uh, I might have overheard you doing a radio interview a little while ago, and the host might have suggested that things like EI and pensions 
were not payroll taxes? And the answer was kind of epic. Now, devil's advocate, um, are these things payroll taxes? Why are they taxes? Why are you trying to get me mad, Chris? I know you're over there just trying to boil my blood. You know, that's funny. I, <laughs> I can't believe I have to say this out loud with my mouth. But yeah, I mean, of course they are taxes. I mean, look, remember that old adage, right? Like if it uh, if it quacks like a duck, waddles like a duck, looks like a duck, it's a duck. Well, if it takes money from you like a tax, uh, funds government redistribution like a tax, and even the government admits it's a tax, then guess what? It is a tax. But, you know, uh, this whole debate, we're hearing like these political pundits really trying to like uh, twist themselves into a pretzel, trying to say or argue that they, they aren't taxes. But, you know, the whole debate really misses the fundamental point, And that is that the government is taking too much money from Canadians. And the amount of money that the government has been taking from the Canadians from Canadians continues to go up. Now, look. This year alone, the total payroll tax bill for a middle class worker is about ninety two hundred bucks. For a year? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm -hmm. actually higher than I thought it was. Yeah, yeah. Now let me let me break down the math there, right? So yeah. if you make sixty-five thousand dollars this year, uh, and look, if you're if you're a parent, if you're a single parent, if, even if you're a two income parent. Uh, or anyone really, and you're making $65,000, I mean, you're already very worried and probably stressed out about the rising costs of living, right? But if you're making 65 k this year, uh, then the federal government is taking nearly $4,500 from your paycheck directly through the mandatory Canada Pension Plan and employment insurance taxes. But now every employer, your employer also has to fork over about 4,800 bucks this year through those two taxes. So that is about $9,200, right? That's the math that let's say a working mom could have used to uh, buy groceries, pay for gas, pay for formula, pay for diapers, right? And remember, the 4,800 bucks that the employer also has to pay, that's 4,800 bucks that your boss couldn't have used uh, to supplement your own salary, right? Because that money has to be forked over to the government. And that's why the total bill is around $9,200 this year for a middle-class worker. But there's uh, a few other things that we need to consider. Number one is that we've seen tax increases go up during the pandemic. I mean, mm -hmm. even this year alone, the total payroll tax bill uh, has increased by over $800 for the middle class worker. Uh, in fact, these payroll taxes have gone up three times since the beginning of COVID-19. And over the decade, the total annual payroll tax bill for each middle class worker has increased uh, by about $2,400. Now, if we look at, yeah, no kidding. And if we look at um, the CPP tax alone, uh, well, that has increased by nearly 50% over the decade. Now, Simmer, I don't know about you, uh, but can you expect to retire 50% earlier? Eh, don't count on it. Uh, did oh. seniors' pension checks just increase by 50% over the decade? Yeah, don't count on that either. Right, exactly. It's a, I think you made a great point on this uh, earlier, too, is that a lot of us in our generation, your generation and younger, are kind of crossing our fingers, hoping that there's going mm -hmm. to be something there. You're not actively funding your own thing right now. It's not like a dollar-for-dollar dollar savings account. Now, again, I, I am trying to annoy you a little bit here. But yeah, I know. I think, you re <laughs> I, need, I think you need to flesh this out, okay? Because 
how is it that EI and CPP just can't be called fees yeah. or contributions or something like that? I did notice, actually it was one of my Twitter followers, they did notice that they even went back on the government website after you pointed out that these are <laughs> called taxes. They changed the government website. They call them, con I think they call them contributions now. So why, why is CPP and EI, why are we calling them taxes? Why aren't they just fees or something? Okay, let's get into the, the whole government shenanigans in a second here, but okay. let's just focus kind of, I guess, on the theoretical. Like what is what makes the CPP and EI payments taxes and not fees or or another type of price that that you pay well for starters payroll taxes are mandatory right unlike a fee a fee essentially could be voluntary right uh, or the price that you pay is voluntary like when you go to subway and you purchase a sandwich that's voluntary when you choose to purchase insurance from manual life that's voluntary uh when you buy a ticket from via rail i don't know why you would put yourself through that it is <laughs> it is the train recently. yeah this guy unfortunately <laughs> but even that was voluntary i didn't have to take the train i didn't have to yeah. go purchase a ticket i mean i could have rented a car whatever you know what's not voluntary your cpp and ei taxes right you can't just phone up the tax man and be like hey i'm not going to pay this month or i'm not going to pay this year we definitely do not advise you doing that uh but the second thing and here is a real nuance that you have been alluding to is that uh, when you uh purchase something through a fee you're paying for your own service Okay, so for example, when you go to a passport office, again, I don't know why you would want to put yourself through that, but when you go to a passport office, you pay $160 for the service of renewing your passport, okay? But when the government takes the CPP and EI payments off your pay stub, you're not paying in large part for your own retirement. No, 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 that's a common misconception. Through CPP, you're largely funding someone else's retirement. And then if you're so lucky in decades from now to be able to get the CPP to fund your own retirement, that's not your dollars that you paid into it. No, that's money coming from younger generations. And I've already alluded to one of the problems, right? For people in the younger generations who are paying into CPP, well, there is no guarantee that you're going to get that money back decades from now. You're essentially relying on the good nature of politicians in the future that they will keep the finances steady and able to and able to finance that. Um, but look, another thing is that if you pass away early, right? That's awful. But if you pass away early, uh, you, the CPP payments are not fully transferable to your family, nope. right? So let's recap. Okay, so you're forced to pay into CPP and EI, right? Uh, you don't have a choice. You're not paying for your own service. You're essentially paying for someone else's retirement. Then you must rely on future generations to pay for your retirement. You're not able to fully transfer your CPP uh, to your family if you, if you die early. So in these ways, you do not truly own the dollars that you are forced to pay through these mandatory CPP and EI payments. And until very recently, and I mean like a couple days ago, the government itself on its own website <laughs> referred to these things as taxes. Like, okay, number one, just for our listeners, 
I think most of us realize, especially you and me, Franco, because we talk all the time, this is really arguing about angels on the head of a pin. Yeah. Right? Like, who cares, right? But the reason why we need to pound this home is that especially, Franco, you're in the arena right now. You are right in the middle of the Ottawa bubble. You're right there at the press gallery. You, you watch Question Period every day. And this is the sort of debate they're having right now. They're having the semantic debate over things like payroll taxes while we're just getting nailed with them and people can't afford ground beef but the reason why we need to hammer this home and prove us to be right is because if we don't win this argument we're not going to win the bigger arguments and up until very recently the government itself called these things payroll taxes right yeah i mean very recently like days we're talking about yeah. days the government went on its website and changed it so that it said taxes and contributions and here's why uh i i wrote an op-ed in the toronto sun it ran nationally in the sun and essentially even pointed out that the government was admitting that the cpp and ei payments were in fact taxes and one of the paragraphs i wrote was like hey just jump on the old google machine type in what taxes you pay and the first link that will pop up is a government website and just after income taxes sales taxes property taxes and tariffs were the cpp and ei payments they're listed right there in taxes uh, yeah <laughs> didn't know it was this direct it was that so direct <laughs> but look i mean the government still uh yeah. technically acknowledges that these are taxes because if you have to appeal a cpp or ei decision which court do you go to you go to the tax court of Canada. Um, and look, before he became prime minister, when he was only a member of parliament, even Justin Trudeau described uh, rising EI payments as, quote, a direct payroll tax increase. Now, Simmer, I don't think anybody is going to say that me and Mr. Trudeau are, are really ever on the same side as a tax on a tax issue. Uh, but tight. No, no, <laughs> yeah. but uh, on this issue that EI payments are a payroll tax, hey, we were in agreement. Now, I, I'm personally like loathing to ask you this next question because I don't really want to know the answer because my retirement plan is basically like, I don't know, living in a really nice RV down by the river or something um, while being a Walmart greeter. But Yeah, um, you and my mom. Have, right? Oh, hey, she's down the street. We're besties. So um, I have read very scarily a few places that there's unfunded liabilities involved with the pension system of Canada. And then I stop reading because I don't like thinking about it. But this is part of the podcast is to get the education we need. Um, is that true? Do we have unfunded liabilities and stuff worked into our pension system in Canada? Yeah, I mean, it's essentially like a big old Ponzi scheme here, right? And, and, and it really kind of boils down to the point that I made earlier is that when you pay into it, it's not like the money is going into a savings account for you in the future. Now, some countries like Australia have that type of model, but that's not what happens here in Canada, right? You're paying into this, which is going largely to fund someone else's retirement. And then you're hoping that we have future taxpayers who will be able to fund your golden years. So the last number that I saw on this uh, was, was from the end of 2015. So the numbers are probably slightly different, but mostly only slightly different is what I would assume. Now, it was from the government's own Office of the Superintendent of Financial Institutions of Canada report. Now, if that's not a bureaucratic tongue twister, I don't know what is. But at the end of 2015, the unfunded liabilities, according to the government report of the CPP, uh, were $884 billion. Whoa. Now, 
what that means is that it will need to take hundreds of billions of dollars from new taxpayers uh, to pay the benefits promised to its current members. Now, if that doesn't sound like a Ponzi scheme, well, uh, I'm not sure <laughs> what would sound like a Ponzi scheme if that's not it. Now, look, I think with these kinds of issues that we've been talking about throughout the whole podcast, uh, I think we do have to talk about reforms here. I think we do have to have an adult uh, conversation about it. Um, but of course, it is important to remember that, look, any change to the CPP won't and really can't happen overnight with like the flick of a wand, right? Um, it, 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 like, so if you paid into the CPP and you're nearing retirement or you are retired, of course you should get the money that you paid into. And I don't think there's any politician who would who would really uh, say otherwise, right? But it is important to have the conversation and to acknowledge that we do need reform over time. Um, but also too, I mean, we've seen governments make some reforms to pensions successfully to deal with unfunded liabilities. Now, it's a little bit different, but the principle could still apply. Back in the 70s, uh, the government of Saskatchewan started reforming its pensions. Um, essentially, it said anyone who is a current employee of the province, uh, you'll get the pension that you were promised. But any new employees coming in would get like an RSP matching style pension. So there's those type of reforms um, that can be made. I mentioned Australia as well. So for future taxpayers, you could have something like the Australian model, where essentially uh, you're, you're, you're putting money into your own savings account rather than into this pool of money that the CPP does. But look, the key point really when it comes to reform is that a conversation about reform is needed, uh, that reform won't happen overnight. And I think that there are smart people out there that can figure out uh, good ways to make meaningful reform. Well, I hope so, uh, because that number you gave is pretty frightening. Um, and again, it, it is tough out there. Uh, every time I'm getting ready to go grocery shopping for the, our big weekend trip type thing um, of loading up the fridge. And every time I'm out there now, people are actually talking in the grocery aisle and they don't usually do that. Uh, folks are really struggling. Mm -hmm. Where your roast of beef used to be around, you know, I used to be able to get one for about $20, $22. Typically, they're around 40 bucks now. Um, mm. You can still get some sales in there, but people are finding it tough. Yeah. And I just wanted to stress to people, like, you know, we know that this is a semantic debate, but if we yeah. don't win this fight over the words, we're not going to win the bigger fights. And I think it's really important for the folks at the House of Commons to realize this that they need to quit debating over these things and just quit taxing people so much and give them some relief. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I don't know, man. Like, even me, like, I don't really care if we call it a fee or a contribution or a levy or a tax. What I care about is that there's, I mean, so many people who are struggling right now and the government's just taking way too much money uh, from from Canadians who are just doing everything right, working hard and trying to support themselves, their families and, and, and their communities. I mean, look, like the payroll tax for each middle class worker uh, is costing the employee and the employer ninety two hundred bucks this year. OK, um, but the second little thing that we also have to remember, not just the amount of money that's directly coming out of our paychecks from payroll tax hikes. But the second thing we have to remember is uh, this isn't the only tax that is going up carbon taxes up, these payroll taxes up, and simmer 
if that drives you to drink your favorite boxed <laughs> wine, well, you're paying more more money there because alcohol taxes are going up as well. And, you know, I hear from so many people that are worried about the uh, NDP Liberal Coalition because the NDP ran on their last election platform to essentially raise every tax under the sun. So it seems like whenever you tune into the House of Commons question period and you hear the government and members of parliament talking, all you hear about is, is tax this, tax that. Well, maybe we should study another type of tax. Well, when are we going to hear about broad-based tax relief? Not just stopping tax hikes, but actually cutting taxes. And, you know, we just put out a report, Chris, that and we found 51 other national governments that are cutting taxes. So Ottawa is raising our tax bill at the worst possible time, while other countries are showing that it is possible to provide their citizens with meaningful tax relief. Well said, sir. Yeah, folks, if you're listening to this and you're getting super frustrated, we just want to give you hope. Um, for every one email or phone call an MP gets, they assume about 100 other people feel the same way. Email them, phone them. Don't just go after the Prime Minister, go after the individual MPs, because then they start getting heat from their constituents and mm -hmm. they start worrying about their own jobs. They're not going to get that vote next time. And they suddenly wake up and pay attention. They bring it up in caucus and that's how you make change in Ottawa. Franco, thanks for fighting the good fight. I'm here with my colleague and uh, friend Jimbo, our investigative journalist. And look, we, I say we, but really Jimbo has done a great job keeping an eye on uh, how the feds are absolutely wasting our money on the gun ban and buyback program. You know, this is really has the makings of a taxpayer boondoggle. Uh, Jimbo, you found that the bill is going up. Why don't you tell us what you found? Yeah, so today we've been billed over $3 million in office costs alone for the bureaucrats running the gun ban and buyback without a single gun purchased to date. You know, just, just great. So the money's tied to the Firearms Buyback Secretariat, which is an office inside public safety that was quietly set up back in June 2020. Um, the people in there, ba they're basically in charge of coordinating the actual work of the buyback program. From what, from what we've been able to tell from the documents we've gotten back so far, that means uh, talking to IBM about strange consults, uh, figuring how to move firearms around the country, that kind of thing, sorting up purchases and challenge procedures, that kind of thing. But tracking their salary costs and their operational costs since the office got going. And to date, it's reached around $3.7 million. 2.1 of that was uh, salaries, while the rest was operational spending. And all of that, while not a single gun has been bought back or purchased to date. While the whole program in the first place has been repeatedly pushed back and delayed and faced all kinds of challenges. Oh my gosh. Okay, so hold on. Uh, $3.7 million spent, uh, yep. not a single gun bought. Yep. Yeah, sounds like a whole boondoggle in the making, another gun boondoggle for taxpayers in the making. But James, I mean, the $3.7 million that was spent so far, that's just on like the office cost, right? That's not the entire program. Yeah, that's just that's just the cost tied to that particular office running there. The people in there getting their stuff up underway, getting their work underway. It's, that's all the costs just tied back to them, not to mention the rest of the spending on the program, which is just it's just nuts to me. And, and you're right. It's a complete boondoggle. They, like these costs, all of them from the program, they just keep on piling up and piling up. And the feds keep on charging head on with this program, despite multiple signs it won't actually impact firearms crime in this country. Yeah. Like just this month. We had uh, public safety. They were up in front of MPs at committee, and they were saying to them they had no specific research showing whether or not new gun controls would actually reduce gun crime in Canada. Instead, they're going with a general sense that uh, fewer legal guns will make for safer homes, which is you know a great policy basis, a general sense of things. Meanwhile, uh, the parliamentary <laughs> budget officer, 
Meanwhile, Parliamentary Budget Officer, they've estimated the cost of buyback could reach as high as $756 million. And that estimate was back in 2021 and based on incomplete data. Yeah, so, hold on, James. I just want to add that in there, okay? Because look, sure. look, we've already heard many times that um, the cost just keeps going up, right? So when the Liberals first promised this back a, a few elections ago now, uh, they said it was going to cost about $200 million. Then yep. you get the estimate there from the PBO that says, well, hold on, it could reach as high as $756 million, yep. but... The PBO was very clear that that's only the cost to reimburse legal gun owners. That doesn't include administration or staffing costs. Then you have a professor from Simon Fraser University that says, well, when you actually add in the entire cost, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, in the billions, in the billions yeah. of dollars. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's nuts. It's just gonna, like and those are just estimates, right? Like these these costs, the estimates are going to keep going up. The actual bills are just going to keep on going up and all this for a program for policy that is probably not going to meet what they're trying to do with it. Like the National Police Federation, which is the RCMP union, they have to yeah. set themselves. The ban and buyback will, quote, uh, do very little to address the goal of increasing public safety, unquote. The NPF would also, they also say it would divert personnel and resources and funding away from the actual growing threat of illegal firearms use in this country. On top of all that, buyback secretariat, that little office there, they want to expand their workforce as the program gets underway because, you know, got to make sure the bureaucracy expands to meet the needs of the expanded bureaucracy. Like, it's just keep on piling up and piling up and piling up. It's crazy. The Ottawa Jobs Program coming at the expense of you and I and every other Canadian taxpayer. You know, it's crazy that they're saying, well, you know, it wasn't really based on any specific research, but like, we actually do have some evidence from the Mounties Union saying not only will this not make Canada more safe, it actually can make Canada less safe by diverting resources from actually getting tough on crime, you know, hiring yeah. more police officers, getting more people at the borders to stop the illegal flow of illegal guns coming in from the U.S. to then diverting those useful resources to then going after law abiding citizens like Jimbo, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe I'm naive. But I don't, I don't think there's going to be too many gangsters showing up in government <laughs> offices to hand over their guns. No, we're going after law-abiding citizens. So, you know, we have always said from day one, uh, especially after talking to the Mounties Union, talking mm -hmm. to the people who are, who are tasked with protecting us day in and day out, we've, we've said, look, this is a, a very expensive program that is going to be ineffective. It's going to cost us a ton of money and it's not going to improve public safety. Uh, this is more about politics, not public safety. Uh, so look, Jimbo, thanks for coming on the show today. We know uh, that we're going to get, continue to keep an eye on this absolute boondoggle in the making. So Jimbo, thanks again for coming on. No problem.